Welcome to It's All Political, the San Francisco Chronicle's political podcast. I'm Joe Garofoli, the Chronicle's senior political writer. And today in the podcast, we have the congressman from Silicon Valley, Ro Khanna. He's back on the podcast. And he's he's not just from Silicon Valley. He's in the middle of everything. He's on the House Oversight Committee, and they are sending a boatload of subpoenas to the White House for all kinds of stuff on the Ukraine matter. Ro fills us in on that. We talk about Senator Bernie Sanders. Ro Khanna is also a co-chair of his campaign. He talks about the senator's health issues and how that may reshape the presidential campaign. He also talks about where he may disagree with Bernie Sanders on some issues when it comes to Silicon Valley and elsewhere. And Ro Khanna talks about his solutions for homelessness. There's Homelessness is a big issue in Silicon Valley, and he outlines how he would take it on. Ro Khanna, next on It's All Political. Congressman Ro Khanna, welcome back to It's All Political. Great to be back on. Uh, you are, as always, in the middle of everything. So uh, let's let's just jump right in. And, and uh, number one, you're in the you're in the House Oversight Committee. And so let's talk a little impeachment stuff. Uh, the committee is going about to uh, issue some subpoenas for documents from the White House. Uh, explain to us what they're looking for and what the significance of this is. Well, first of all, the case is very simple. The president has had a call with Zelensky, a foreign leader, to get dirt on Joe Biden. Uh, you can't betray our national security by seeking information uh, from a foreign leader. Now, what we need to know in the Oversight Committee is uh, what did the State Department know about this? We know that Secretary of State Pompeo uh, was on the call. Uh, why did they not take any corrective action? What we need to know is why was Ambassador Volker, who was in uh, the in Ukraine, uh, arranging meetings for Giuliani with the Ukrainian officials. And where were the orders coming from? Were they coming directly from President Trump? Were they coming from his subordinates? So there's a lot, a lot of unanswered questions about who all was involved in this scheme to get dirt on Vice President Biden. Is what has the president done that is illegal, allegedly illegal? We, we. What he's done may not be ethical, may not be proper, as you sort of alluded to, but what has he done that's illegal? He's abused his office, and that was one of the articles of impeachment uh, in Nixon. I mean, he took a constitutional oath to protect our national security and our Constitution. Uh, and I believe that uh, seeking uh, information about your political rival from a foreign leader and asking the foreign, a foreign leader uh, to conduct an investigation about a political rival is it abuse of power and abuse of office? And uh, you can impeach a president uh, for high crimes and misdemeanors. One of those things is abuse of office. Uh, there may be other actual crimes uh, and that uh, the Justice Department and others could look into, uh, but you don't have to prove a, a crime of a particular statute. Uh, you can, as I said, in Nixon's case, impeach someone from a, for abusing uh, their office and violating their constitutional oath. How do you explain this to uh, people, not only in your district, who may be uh, you know, dubious about the the whole impeachment process, but when you, in other parts of the country? How do Democrats, you know, bring over independents who are still, you know, reluctant to to go there? They, uh, how, what do you say? 
Well, I think the numbers in polling is that I've seen have, have shifted. It used to be that two-thirds of the country was opposed to impeachment, and now you see that uh, about a majority is supportive, at least, of a impeachment inquiry and, in some cases, of impeachment. I think what you say is this is not even about uh, Trump or Democrat or Republican. This is about standing up for the principle that a foreign government shouldn't interfere uh, in our election and that the president shouldn't conspire with foreign governments to investigate political rivals. Uh, and most people think that uh, that makes sense. Uh, so I think if we can continue to talk about the Ukraine phone call and, uh, and, and make it uh, focused on that, so it's not just throwing the kitchen sink at the president, uh, then uh, we will get uh, people saying, yeah, the, the House Democrats do have to stand up for the Constitution. Now, you were in the room the other day when uh, Speaker Pelosi uh, talked to all the Democrats in the House about pursuing an impeachment inquiry. She was, you know, as we, we talked uh, a few months ago, she was dubious about impeachment, long has been. But she said that the turning point was when uh, she heard from some freshman Democrats about this. To walk us through, you know, sort of what happened in the room and what's happened over, up until leading to that point that helped her change her mind. Well, I, I have great admiration for some of the national security freshman Democrats who spoke up, and many of them spoke up in caucus that day, uh, Abigail Spanberger, Elise Slotkin, uh, and others. And they said that uh, they're in Trump plus 10 districts. Uh, they may lose their seat over uh, uh, supporting uh, impeachment, uh, but uh, they're constitutional obligation, their fact that they have served the country in uh, either the military or in national security positions, uh, compelled them to take action, that they could not turn a blind eye to the president threatening possibly to withhold military aid, or is at the very least uh, seeking information uh, from a foreign leader about a political rival. This was just something that compromised who we were as Americans in our constitution. So I think their moral clarity uh, helped uh, shape the, the caucus. And the speaker, uh, who you're right, didn't want to uh, go towards impeachment. She didn't want to uh, polarize and divide this country even further. She didn't want to put us through this. Uh, but she, even she had felt, felt she had no choice, that this was just such a egregious violation of uh, the oath of office and abuse of power uh, that uh, we would look... Uh, uh, foolish if we if we didn't uh, act to hold the president accountable. And when you say just for the non-political nerds who are listening, when you say Trump plus 10, that's a, a district that where Trump won by 10 percentage points or more. Uh, so in other words, these were certainly not safe districts that they're coming from. It's easy for someone who's in a, in a very liberal district to say, oh, I'm for impeachment. But these are folks who are the are at risk of being defeated, and, it, and they, they flipped a Republican district, or it's a, a very purple district. Gil Cisneros in Orange County is another uh, military veteran who is in that crew. Um, so that that turned that helped turn the caucus around, hearing that. And another thing, Pelosi was concerned about, you know, about losing a lot of those freshmen. So it's it their political concerns as well, right? There certainly are. I mean, she's never made the judgment on impeachment based on politics, but there, there is a, uh, a, a concern of how these uh, Democrats will fare. And frankly, anyone who says they know how it's going to turn out is lying. I mean, we don't know. And some of these members were very candid. They said, uh, we think that we can explain this to our voters. We think independents are understanding, but we're taking a risk and we don't know. And maybe we won't come back. 
but this is the right thing to do. And, and they deserve uh, the praise they've gotten because uh, they really are, in my view, profiles of courage in districts that, as you pointed out correctly, are heavily Republican, that Trump carried overwhelmingly. Uh, they're willing to take this stand. It's an easy stand for me to take in my district. I mean, we uh, have people, 200, 300 people show up to a town hall and you ask them to raise their hand and probably 90% would be for impeachment. I got a standing ovation in the district when I called for impeachment. That's the only time <laughs> I think that that's happened. So, uh, you know, that's a very, it's not an act of uh, political courage. I think it's an act of political responsibility. But for these members, it's an act of political courage. Uh, Congressman Schiff has said that, you know, we want to, he said even this morning as we're recording this, we're, we're going to be good. We got to be quick about this. Uh, there's been talk about uh, wrapping this up before Thanksgiving. That seems like a very ambitious time frame. You're on the inside on the oversight committee. How how realistic is that to, to have this? I mean, to have a, an impeachment vote before Thanksgiving, the, the Clinton vote uh, wall to wall was about four or five months. Um, and uh, and and that was kind of quick. But what what do you think about this? I agree with Adam Schiff, uh, partly uh, tongue in cheek, because I don't think Adam Schiff uh, uh, needs to be the face of the Democratic Party in 2020. I think our nominee should be the face of the Democratic Party in 2020. <laughs> so you know we need to get this work done, and uh, he's very competent. He will uh, get it done. We should have a vote, and then let's move on to uh, the presidential election. And what, what's is there a a fear that if this bleeds over into the new year, then it sucks energy off of the the campaign trail. You're, you're a month out from votes in Iowa, and then then it becomes just just a big mess. Is that is that accurate? There is a fear that if this keeps dragging on, that our positive agenda won't come out, and that's uh, something. First of all, the House Democrats have done. I mean, we're talking about just today. We're on a call conference call talking about how we're going to have prescription drug reform and what legislation we're going to pass. And as you know, we've passed legislation on campaign finance reform, on climate change, on gun violence, on uh, health care and extending health care. But we need our candidates uh, talking about that and breaking through. And it's going to be very hard for our presidential candidates to break through while all of this is going on. So that's uh, why I believe we need to wrap this up this year. Uh, speaking of presidential candidates, you are a campaign co-chair for Bernie Sanders and, you know, and um, by the time people are listening to this, they will probably have already heard that uh, Senator's had a bit of a health uh, issue. He's been hospitalized and treated for an artery blockage. He had a couple of stents inserted there, uh, canceling his events. He was going to be in California this week. Um, and uh, but I've spoken to people uh, very close to the senator. They said he is a vital sign. Every you know, his lab work is good. He's uh, he's uh, as one person told me, a pain in the ass right now. Um, and <laughs> And he, he could be home by Thursday or Friday. Is that w- what you're hearing as well? I, I'm hearing he had a, a terrific recovery. He's in uh, uh, good spirits, as as you can be. He wants to uh, continue. I mean, I was supposed to be with him in Iowa uh, for two uh, days this weekend uh, in the campaign. I just got a call saying, Ro, we want you to go to, to Iowa to, to campaign and surrogate for him. So uh, the campaign is moving on. Uh, he needs to, though, follow his doctor's advice to to get the proper rest before uh, hitting the trail. My concern with him is not that uh, uh, he wouldn't uh, campaign hard. My concern is that uh, he listened to his doctor and take the uh, amount of rest that that is required to have a full recovery. Do you think he'll be at the debates? uh, uh, Well, I guess in a couple of weeks. 
I hope so. You know, I mean, I that's uh, speculation. I don't know what the uh, recovery time the doctors recommend for uh, this kind of a procedure. It's a very normal procedure. It's something that uh, uh, it, I'm very glad that they caught this before uh, something could have happened. Uh, and I know he'll be uh, fully back and, and in fighting spirit, but I do think he has to uh, take uh, the, the amount of time it would take any person to recover from uh, this procedure. And uh, that's something that he has to discuss with his, uh, with his doctors. And my hope is he'll be guided by what his doctors recommend. How does this affect the campaign? The, the fact that he is hospitalized and let's, let's, let's be real here at the, Senator Sanders is 78 years old. He is in, generally in good health. I mean, he's a, 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 a maniacal type of uh, um, uh, campaign schedule. He does several events in a day. Um, what, but, but still, people are going to say, oh, Bernie's 78. I don't know. Do I, do I really want to invest in this guy? He's uh, had some heart problems now. How does this affect the campaign? Well, I think anyone who sees him will see he's a he's a runner. He's in uh, some of uh, the the best shape of any any person running. I mean, he has extraordinary energy. He starts his day at seven in the morning and goes till eleven at night. I do think he's got to uh, uh, slow down the campaign pace a little bit. I mean, I don't think he needs to do ten events a day, uh, and uh, he needs to uh, uh, have a sense of getting a rest for. What, what time his doctors want. But I don't think what all of this, that what I've heard is uh, he needs to continue to fight, uh, that the other folks on the campaign or the movement uh, need to pick up the pace and uh, step in uh, if he has a reduced schedule for a little bit. Uh, but I, I don't think voters judge on, on those issues. I think that uh, they will look at his record, his vision. Uh, I'm confident that he will be able to uh, convince people that he's in great health. You are, uh, when we spoke, when you first joined the campaign, you would be sort of uh, Sanders' uh, ambassador to Silicon Valley, which is uh, the, which part of your uh, district. You're is the uh, senator of Silicon Valley. Um, you, you would said that uh, you'd be doing things like helping them frame how Medicare for all and free speech and uh, free public college tuition will help the tech sector. How's he, what's he doing in the Valley? How's he doing here? I don't see him campaigning much there, but... What inroads specifically have you made for Sanders in Silicon Valley? Well, I would argue that I, I made inroads in our district. I mean, we've got a huge uh, a group of volunteers uh, in uh, Congressional District 17, which is where I represent an 18 in the San Jose area in Santa Clara County. Hundreds of volunteers who believe that we need free public college, who believe in Medicare for all. Uh, and uh, we are also shaping a platform on uh, artificial intelligence and ethics for artificial intelligence and access to uh, broadband and high-speed internet. Uh, so I, I have uh, been pleased with the support he has uh, in my congressional district. Now, I, you know, I, I don't want to uh, imply that uh, he's going to be raising a lot of money from uh, tech executives, but I'll tell you, uh, he gets a lot of money from tech workers. Uh, he, the, uh, he gets extraordinary amount of support from Amazon workers, uh, from Walmart workers, some of the biggest uh, contributors to him are the workers. He gets the biggest contributor to him, of course, are teachers. Uh, and then even if you look at Google and some of the tech companies and you look at the workers, a lot of the workers are giving money to him and to Elizabeth Warren. So uh, he, he hasn't made inroads with uh, many executives, but he has made inroads with the workers. And he, like Warren, wants to break up the tech companies. Um 
this week we heard Mark Zuckerberg uh, on, on a recording say that um, uh, if Warren were to win, uh, and this is Zuckerberg speaking, he said, yeah, would that suck for us? Yes. I mean, I don't want to have a major lawsuit against our government. He said it would go into legal uh, turmoil there. What, how would how would Sanders breakup of the tech companies be different from Warren's or is it generally talking about the same thing? Well, I believe we need thoughtful regulation uh, like we had in the Microsoft case. I don't think you just reflexively break up companies. My uh, values and what I think is necessary is scrutiny in terms of uh, mergers. So I don't think Facebook should have been allowed to acquire WhatsApp and Instagram and the FTC should have acted. And in the future, they should act if they're trying to acquire another competitor. But now that they're integrated, you have to have uh, the facts uh, come out before uh, a politician can just call for breaking a company up. I mean, there is a due process and uh, uh, evidence-based decision-making that has to take place in this country. I also think a lot of these problems can be gotten at through regulation. Let me give you a very concrete, quick example. There was a company in uh, Michigan that was making T-shirts. They couldn't sell anything in Michigan uh, retail-wise. Uh, and so they went on Amazon, and Amazon helped them become a very successful small business selling T-shirts. Well, then guess what? Amazon copied the T-shirt and started selling the T-shirt as an Amazon product, and now the business is having problems. So what we want is technology to be used for good that allows the small business to emerge, but then I don't think Amazon should be able to compete if we're with products that are on its platform. And I think you can get at a lot of these problems uh, through smart, thoughtful regulation uh, for antitrust and privacy and doesn't require just breaking up these companies. That's what happened in Microsoft's case when the government sued and uh, similarly could happen uh, to move uh, tech uh, forward. Sounds like a, a little bit at odds with what both uh, Sanders and Warren, they, they seem to be, you seem to be advocating the scalpel and they're they're advocating the sledgehammer approach. Is that the, the that's fair? I think that's fair. I mean, I I think we definitely need stronger regulation, and uh, uh, we definitely need uh, to have uh, a, a appropriate enforcement of antitrust. But I also believe that it has to be evidence and fact based, and we can't just be uh, splitting up companies if we uh, for no reason if we don't know what the outcome is going to be, and if there are other ways of uh, addressing the issues. Which was basically Theodore Roosevelt's approach. Uh, about a hundred years ago, when he was pushing for thoughtful uh, regulation uh, when it came to antitrust. Um, I want to ask you uh, one more thing about uh, the. I was on the conference call with the the Sanders campaign last night, um, and uh, they're saying that the uh, this is uh, Fash Shakur, the uh, campaign manager. Um, he said a lot of the corporate media is deriding this campaign and wants to write our obituary. They are hoping that's the case. Um, does that do you do you feel that that's true that that the corporate media quote unquote uh, has it in for Sanders? I'm, I I don't believe you criticize the media. I think when you run for Congress, when you run for the Senate, when you run for the president, uh, the media is going to be tough. That's their job, uh, and uh, you find a way to get your message out. Uh, so uh, that's been my focus. Uh, do I think that there are issues that the senator has raised that should get more coverage? I do. I mean, I think the 
uh, Warren Gammon should get more coverage. I think the uh, uh, Poor People's Campaign about poverty should get more coverage. The income wealth gap should get more coverage. But uh, that's uh, not about a particular candidate as much as uh, the media being focused more on a horse race and politics than than issues. Uh, but look, you roll with the punches. It's uh, a tough job to be president of the United States. And uh, you should expect uh, that the media is going to be uh, tough. One thing we haven't heard in any of the debates so far has been any sort of conversation about uh, housing or the homeless. What would you uh, like to hear in this next campaign? This is uh, the number one issue. uh, The uh, Public Policy Institute says that this is the number one issue in California, even up there with the economy, concerns about the economy. What do you want to hear the candidates talk about in the next Democratic debate about housing and homelessness? There are three things we can do. Uh, First, uh, to have a housing first policy, meaning the best thing to do for people is not just to uh, put them in some temporary housing, but it's to get them permanent housing and to help integrate them into society. We need to have first a increase in Section 8 vouchers. I mean, in my county, in Santa Clara County, you have a uh, shortage of people who can qualify for Section 8 vouchers. Uh, second, uh, we need to have intervention uh, when people are about to default in their, on their rent uh, so you can intervene before they default. And we have a very successful program in Santa Clara County that's funded by private resources to do that because once you get an eviction on your record, it becomes much harder to get back into housing. We should have a federal program that does that. And uh, third, we need to expand dramatically the uh, tax credit for affordable housing. Uh, And that tax credit is used by builders to build far more affordable housing so we can increase the supply. If we did those three things and invested uh, billions of dollars at the federal level, we would go a long way to uh, having affordable housing for people who are homeless. Now, the one other point I would make in California specifically is I do think we should build some shelters. Uh, The shelters are not the uh, ideal solution. We should have housing first. But when you look at New York, Uh, which has a right to shelter law in their constitution, Uh, one of the ways they've dealt with it is they put people in shelters. And uh, I think shelters are better than having people uh, be out on the streets with all of the dangers that uh, come with that. So you support a right to shelter as as it is in New York? I do. I mean, I think uh, whether it's in our constitution or not, I I, I think we ought to be uh, having that as part of the solution. I mean, we People are uh, purists in some sense and say, look, the best solution is to get people in permanent housing. And I agree. But if we're only being able to do uh, 20% of the homeless population in permanent housing, because that's a tougher solution, we can't just say, okay, in the meantime, the other 80% are just going to be on the streets. We've got to do both. We've got to have shelters, recognizing that it's temporary, uh, but then have a focus on getting people in permanent housing. Have you talked to Newsom about this? Because he is uh, against this. but at the same time, uh, the head of his statewide homeless uh, coalition, uh, Daryl Steinberg, former head of the state Senate, and now the mayor of Sacramento, is for it. Um, have you talked to the governor about this? And, and, and why, why is he? Uh, is he against, is he against, against all of the things I said or just the No, no, he's just, against the, he's just against the right to shelter. Yeah, I don't understand it. I mean, I, 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 my, here's my guess. He's looking at it from a policy perspective and all the research says to uh, have a permanent solution to uh, uh, homelessness. You got to get people in housing. And I get that. But, you know, he, at some point, you got to look at the reality, which is uh, in cities like San Francisco or L.A., 
they're only being able to do that for 10, 20%. So what are you going to do with the other 80%? And I rather, uh, for the sake of uh, the dignity of treating folks, that they at least have a permanent shelter. And you see that in New York. Now, people will argue, well, in New York, they're just uh, hiding the problem. It's not on the streets and in these shelters. I'd say being in a shelter is better than being on the streets. And so I, 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 I don't know why we wouldn't uh, do that in addition to the Housing First policy. All right. Uh, for those of you who hear this uh, in time, uh, Congressman Khanna is going to have a town hall meeting on Thursday, October 3rd from 730 to 9.30. If you're in the neighborhood, it'll be at Regnart Elementary School in Cupertino. Um, and uh, uh, Ro, other than uh, a shameless uh, show of hands for who wants to impeach the president uh, for a standing ovation, uh, what would you be talking about there? If I could, I could uh, put in a plug for one other thing. From 7 to 7.30 at the same place, we're going to have a uh, event honoring uh, Gandhi's uh, 150th birthday. Oh, okay. and, uh it's a particular item, Peace in the Nation, this uh, morning. Uh, my grandfather, as you may remember, spent four years in jail uh, during Gandhi's movement for Indian independence. And I think his uh, teachings and life example are more relevant to our country and world today than ever before. And then at 7.30, we will start the town hall. And of course, uh, uh, there are going to be a number of questions about uh, impeachment and the proceedings and the committee I'm working on on oversight. And I'm happy to answer in detail people's questions about uh, uh, the impeachment process and the timeline. Uh, I also want to get their feedback about what they think we should be doing. Uh, And then we're going to talk about issues on people's minds. I mean, homelessness, traffic, uh, the cost of living here in affordable housing, uh, what we're doing on prescription drugs, what we're trying to do on infrastructure. Uh, And I always talk about the things House Democrats have passed uh, because there's this perception, if you just turn on the television, even if you see me on television, that the only thing uh, that we're doing is subpoenas. And that's not the case. 80% of my time is actually on substantive legislation to improve people's lives. Uh, and I get to talk about that at the town hall. Congressman Rokana, thanks for being back on It's All Political. We'll talk to you soon. Joe, I always enjoy it. I look forward to doing it again. I'd like to thank you all for listening. I'd like to thank Rokana for coming back on the podcast. I'd like to thank the king. King Kaufman for producing today's episode. And remember, whether you're firing the subpoena cannon or standing in front of it, it's all political. It's all political as part of the San Francisco Chronicle podcast network. Audrey Cooper is our editor in chief. Our music, our theme music that we have is Cattle Call. That's written by Randy Clark and performed by Randy Clark and Crow Song. If you like this show, subscribe, rate, and review it on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. For more great journalism like this, subscribe to the San Francisco Chronicle at sanfranciscochronicle.com slash subscribe. You can find me on Twitter at Joe Garofoli. Thanks.